So before King David came on the scene, there was no temple. And Israel worshipped at a place called Shiloh. And there was a woman, and her name was Hannah, at that time when Israel worshipped at Shiloh. She had no children. She had gone to that place of worship in Shiloh around midday to pray to God for a child. And so profound and gut-wrenching was her prayer that Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk at midday and went up to her and said, "Uh, you know, why don't you beat it? You're a little drunk, I can tell you, a little tipsy. Cast scorn upon her. But she turned with just tears that had just soaked her face and her dress and said, I am not drunk. I've been praying to the Lord, pouring out my heart in these tears, begging God for a child. Eli stepped back and said, oh, well, may the Lord grant your request. And the Lord heard the prayer of Hannah. And shortly afterward, she conceived, she bore a son and named him Samuel. And after this child was weaned, Hannah and her husband brought him to Shiloh. Imagine this, like a three or four-year-old kid now, bringing him up to the place of worship in Shiloh and gave the child back to God. All right, moms, imagine you doing that with your four-year-old. Here's your child. God, thank you. It's been a great run, (laughs) you know. Uh, What a great woman of faith. And uh, so anyway, so Eli took the child, took the child under his wing, but he wasn't a good teacher. He had, you could say he had broken wings. He was messing a lot of feathers and some broken bones in those wings. Because it says here in the text, in the first reading, that Samuel, and not mentioned, Eli were asleep in the temple. Sleeping in Scripture is not a good thing. It translates to sleeping on the job. So if anyone's ever accused you, hey, you're sleeping on the job. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm wide awake. I am present, sleeping on the job. But he was, Eli wasn't a really good example. He was sleeping on the job. And why was that? Because he was spiritually indifferent to God. He was going through the motions as a priest. And not only as a priest, as a father. He was a deadbeat father. And it says here in the first book of Samuel, chapter 1, it says, Now the sons of Eli 
were worthless men. They did not know God. They had no relationship with God. They did not know the Lord because Eli was not listening to the Lord. And the normal way that we listen to the Lord is through our conscience. And catechism, Catholic Church, says the following about conscience. It says, deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice ever calling him to love and do what is good and avoid what is evil, sounds within his heart at the right moment. We've all experienced that, I think. It's like, uh, we freeze, like, I'm hearing this. For man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. His conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. There alone with God, whose voice echoes within its, his depths. So when God then speaks to Samuel, 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 he's speaking to his conscience. He can hear God's voice so strongly. He's just a young child. So he thinks, well, Eli's calling me. It's so strong. Waking him up. And after the third time, Eli is like, oh, I get it. I think the Lord is calling him. So uh, Samuel said, speak. I am listening. The Lord spoke and Samuel became the greatest and the last of all the judges. He would anoint Saul as king and later on David as king. It's easy to listen to the Lord if we are hearing his voice. So going back to that number of the catechism, which is actually easy, being in Philadelphia, you know, Independence, 1776, that was the number I quoted. So 1776, so it says that conscience has a voice, and a voice belongs to a person, and that person is God. To listen to God better in our lives, there's a really good practice. And, you know, it's important. Practice is important. There's a, I don't know if you've seen that, uh, we shouldn't have the, the attitude of Alan Iverson. I don't know if you had seen that video about that when he didn't go to practice. And uh, they made, uh, there's still a video, it's pretty funny if you haven't seen it. But there is a very good practice. And that is the examination of conscience that we should strive to do actually every day and to see how we've been listening to the voice of God. And it's not about simply, oh, what did I do wrong? It's about where has God been leading me? What has he been telling me? How have I encountered him today in my neighbor, in myself? But society today has removed could say those times of, of, of solace where we can talk to God and has removed the guardrails in our life. And it's hard to know what is right and what is wrong. There are practically no guardrails today. 
And simply declaring something legal doesn't mean it's morally good. Something that is legal may be immoral. It may desecrate our bodies, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's legal. No, it's not. I mean, sure, it's legal. But you're killing yourself. You're killing your mind. You're killing your heart. As Paul says, the body is not for any kind of immorality since we are made in God's image and likeness. And because of our baptism, we are children of God, temples of the Holy Spirit, members of the mystical body, his church. And secularism and materialism are calling us, are causing us to fall asleep. That is to be callous toward God in this voice. And no matter how relentless those currents can be, our hearts will yearn for the infinite God. And therefore, therefore, the simple question that Jesus asked Andrew and John, he's asking to each one of us, what are you looking for? What do you want? And anytime we are confronted by temptation, the voice of conscience, the voice of Jesus will ask us, what are you looking for? And Jesus knows it's not easy to live according to the gospel, but he doesn't dumb it down either. In Matthew 13, there is a parable about the wheat and the darnel, about weeds growing up with, with wheat. And the servants just are beside themselves. What do we do? He said, relax. Harvest time. We'll take care of it then. So we, here in the world, we are not called to iso be isolated, to be in a shelter where nothing can harm us. We are called to share our experience of Jesus, just as Andrew and John did. They shared it first and foremost to Peter. And Jesus therefore told us that we are salt of the earth. So may we be salt. And finally, in this, to quote a little line here from this book that I read a few years ago, it's called The Next Christians, Seven Ways You Can Live the Gospel and Restore the World. He said, Jesus likely used the idea of salt to define how his followers should act within, act, interact in the world. Salt is only useful when it's good, active, and engaged. Doing what's supposed to do where it's supposed to be. And salt doesn't preserve anything by itself. It must be attached to something in order to provide its life-sustaining and preservative value.